Um, So our reading today is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you to all those who have uh, led us uh, in the service thus far. Now, if you can have your Bibles open at uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 4, that would be really helpful. And on the back of the service sheet, there are some notes to guide us uh, through this uh, important uh, passage. Now, the message of Hebrews overall is about sticking with Jesus in the Christian life. And the particular section we are in, chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 10, is about our journey as Christians to the promised uh, rest And the promised rest is heaven and the new creation. And heaven and the new creation is in the future. We are not there yet. We are on the journey there. And the Christian life is a journey to God's promised rest. And the challenge is, and it's the challenge that we feel and experience, is to keep going on the journey so we get there. And I guess at the heart of this particular section is not to presume that we will and yet to be confident that we will. That's the kind of tension in this letter. Now, you'll see on the structure, what we'll do is I'm going to quickly summarize uh, the five exhortations or challenges in the passage, and then we'll spend almost all of our time on the three wonderful provisions that were pointed to by the author of this letter for the journey. And we'll finish up, uh, if we have time, with these practical applications. So, firstly, the five exhortations. It's important that we hear these again. We spent really the whole of last week on this. But it's important that we hear them again before we hear the provisions alongside them. So, Here are the five exhortations to keep going on the journey to God's promise rest. The first one is chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Let me just read that. If you follow it, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Second exhortation, and they are strong in their tone. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest, heaven, still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to you just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That's a reference to the people of God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, who did not listen to God and therefore were not permitted to enter into the promised land, rest for them. Chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive, or let us therefore engage all our energies to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then two exhortations in our passage. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. The word confession means our core gospel convictions. In the first service, as part of the dedication of Ella, we all stood up and we recited together the words of the Apostles' Creed. That's a Christian confession. And uh, the writer to the Hebrews is exhorting us not to give up on that, to hold fast to our confession. And uh, there are many periods in history where that is not hard. Because, but in a time like we are living in, one has to hold fast to our confession, to hold fast to the orthodox Christian faith, to hold fast to the gospel as it is given us in the Bible, the way of life that is given to us in the Bible, to hold fast to it. Welcome. I think, no, I don't want to draw attention to you coming in, but I think every time anyone goes in and out, it's like terribly nerve-wracking. But let me reassure you that the new building has doors at the back (laughs) that will be locked on a Sunday. So don't give up on your orthodox, your confessions of faith. And then finally, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Now, just spot the tone of these exhortations. It is strong, it is challenging, it is urgent, it is bold, take care, exhorts, fear, strive, hold fast, draw near. Strong exhortations because there are risks that we, and these are some of the risks, fall away from the living God, that we are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that we do not listen to the good news, the message, the word of God, that we fall because of disobedience. And uh, it's important that we heed these exhortations, we heed these warnings, because we are not immune from these risks. And of course, the overarching warning is that we fail to reach 
and enter God's rest. And that's the challenge and attention of Hebrews. To this group of Christians, to this group who gather and say they are followers of Jesus Christ, there is that warning that if they do not heed these exhortations and do not turn to lay hold of the provisions, they may not enter heaven. Now, there is no doubt that these passages in Hebrews are deeply searching and deeply challenging. And they are to me, and I know they are to many of you. Let me just try to stop you going down a dangerous track. Everybody who has spoken to me anxious about their assurance in the Christian life has been, and I want to affirm them in this again, and you, if you are anxious, they are taking care. They are exhorting and being exhorted in the Christian life. They rightly fear God. They are striving. They are holding fast. And they are drawing near to God in prayer. These are the marks of authenticity. Moreover, they are deeply conscious of sin and failure and waxing and waning in the Christian life, as I am too. To be deeply conscious of sin is not evidence that we are not on the journey to enter the rest, but that we are. But we must heed the warnings. Now, lest we fall into disobedience. Now, what you need in the Bible at this point is exactly what you get. So as the Word of God challenges us, the author to the Hebrews moves ground now onto the wonderful provisions we are given from God for the journey. And there are three of them. The Word of God, Jesus our High Priest, and each other. So let me uh, say a little bit about each of these, mostly on the second, Jesus our High Priest, which will be the most unfamiliar, perhaps. So the Word of God, let's read. Let us therefore strive, verse 11, to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I'm striving, God. I need some help. What's the help? For the Word of God is the help, is living and active. The Word of God is the Bible, the apostolic truth. It is living. It's alive. We just sung. It's not like dead words on a page. It's so far from that. It's alive in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Even now, it is not dead words on a page. There's something dynamic, supernatural going on in our hearts with the Word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Two weeks ago, when Chris Glass got married, he's a soldier. He had a big sword with which they cut the cake. He assured me it wasn't sharp. Think of the sharpest 
sword. This is sharper. And the images of the sword going into a human body and kind of pushing behind the ribs and the marrow and the joints and the sinews and all that kind of stuff and cutting right to the heart. That's the image. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts so that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom to whom we must give account. One of the most fearful things we have as human beings is being exposed uh, so that people know who we truly are and what we are truly like. And one of the best things about being a Christian is coming to terms with the fact that God knows us inside out. And one of the great blessings of the Word of God is the Word of God when it is taught and studied and read and listened to, dismantles all of the pretensions in our lives and takes us down that we see along with the Lord Jesus what we're truly like. And we see sin for what it is and we see good for what it is. The word in the text here is kritikos, critic. And a critic, now we've got to do, uh, the way it works out in our culture is not always this way, but a critic is a balanced view. And there is only one balanced critic of my life. My wife comes pretty close second. But the one balanced critic in my life is the Lord Jesus through his word. Now, the tenor, I think, of verses 12 and 13 about the word of God here are about the convicting power of the word with respect to our sin. And the the Word of God exposes us, it lays us bare, and uh, oftentimes when it does that, um, there's another danger that we go down the track of despairing, but what we need to do at that point when the Word of God has convicted us of our sin is we need to turn in prayer to Jesus Christ our high priest, which is the second wonderful provision, verses 14 to 16. And we'll take time on this because it's just fantastic. It's one of the challenge, though, is to try and explain it. So I'm going to do my best, and you're going to have to work on it. Since then, we have, verse 14, a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive uh, mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Now, a priest. A priest is someone who makes it possible for sinful humanity to have a relationship with a holy God. And in the old covenant period, in the history of God's people, that is before Jesus, at the heart of the priestly office or function was the high priest. And once a year, Only once, the high priest and only the high priest would go beyond the temple curtain that separated God's people from God's presence 
and the high priest would offer there gifts and sacrifices for sins on behalf of the people of God in relation to God. The high priest was the mediator between God and the people. God would come in judgment because of the sins of the people, because he is a holy God, and the high priest would stand in the place of the people and offer to God a sacrifice, the blood of an unblemished lamb. And that would satisfy God's justice and display God's mercy because he had looked over the sin of his people and vented his judgment on an innocent animal. That's the high priest. But the high priest in the Old Covenant was always, always a pale shadow of God's ultimate purpose and desire for a covenant relationship with his people. Let me say that again. The high priest who once a year went in beyond the curtain, who offered a sacrifice of an unblemished lamb to God to appease God's judgment, to display God's mercy, was always a shadow of what was ultimately God's purpose. It was a shadow because the high priest himself was sinful. It was a shadow because the high priest died and needed to be replaced. It was a shadow because the high priest had to make repeated year-on-year -year sacrifices. It was a shadow because only he, once a year, could go beyond the curtain into the presence of God. It was a shadow that cried out for something far greater. It was a covenant that promised a better covenant. And the covenant that is better is the covenant in Jesus on the same basis that Jesus is better. That's a Hebrews phrase. Now, at the heart of the covenant that you and I have, and I want you to think about what they had then. They had this high priest who went in once a year, who offered sacrifices, and they were on the outside. And they were on a journey like we were. Their faith was in the ultimate rest, which is heaven. We're just far further on in salvation history. Jesus is our high priest. Now, what does the writer to the Hebrews tell us about Jesus as our high priest. He assumes the knowledge that I have just shared, yep, and more, but that's the essence of what he assumes. But then he says this, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest, so he's not a high priest, he is a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we're learning about who Jesus is as our high priest, and that we have him, and the exhortation off the back of that knowledge is never to let go of the truth of the gospel. Never to let go of our confession as we journey towards heaven. One thing about Jesus is that he's alive. 
He's a forever priest. And that little phrase is a very Hebrews phrase. He has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Well, we've learned in this letter about the incredible journey Jesus took. He started in glory and he passed through the heavens and came all the way to earth, became a human being, fully God, yet fully human, and served and gave his life on the cross, was raised, ascended, went back through the heavens to God where he is enthroned and where he reigns. And at the heart of that journey, at the heart of that ark, there is a cross where he made, as the great high priest, full atonement for sin. There will be never any more sacrifices. Moreover, in making full atonement for sin, he opened up full access to God for all Christians. We are all beyond the curtain. And Hebrews reminds us who Jesus is. He is, Hebrews says, the Son of God. That means both the eternal Son of God, and therefore in his humanity he is sinless, but also God's Son, as in God's King, a priest King, a perfect King. Jesus is the great high priest. And it's like a, a whole lot of fireworks. They're coming on the 5th of November. I think if you're allowed fireworks still, I'm not sure you still allowed them, but if you were, he's the high priest. It's extraordinary. And the point is, as you struggle to hold fast to your confession, to the orthodox Christian truth in a tough, tough time, and there are far tougher places in the world to do that than here, as we learned when we prayed uh, anonymously for our, our gospel partners in some of these places in the world, but it's also tough here to hold fast. You need to see and understand who your high priest is. And that through faith in him, because he has paid the once and for all sacrifice, and you have gone with him into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. You have full assurance of salvation. And you've got a whole intention, you see, in Hebrews, the exhortations not to disobey. And then it steals upon your heart that you have full assurance of salvation. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast onto what you know and believe about him. Hold fast to him. And trust that he is holding fast onto you. And if you are a true believer, and a true believer is someone who has come with genuine repentance to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, trusting in his death to achieve that forgiveness, if that is you, you have this great high priest as your high priest. And one other thing that he does, he is your advocate or he is your interceder to God on your behalf. And uh, he says, and I did pick two names in service one. I won't do that in this service. They were both Christians. And Jesus is saying, she is mine. Or he is mine. 
They're forgiven. He's saying that right now. It's marvelous. How else can and do you know that you are safe and secure? Because you call God the one to whom for you Jesus intercedes as your advocate. You call that holy God the one to whom Jesus says, they are mine, they are mine, they are safe, they are forgiven. You call that holy God Father. So you are not only brought in behind the curtain into the presence of God, you are brought into the family of God. He is your great high priest. Hold fast. Now, verse, uh, where are we? Verse 14 is like a great big firework. Verse 15 and 16 is a kind of change of gear. It's like coming down to the the, the, the messiness of our lives as Christians on the earth as we battle with real-life sin. It's a beautiful promise, verses 15 and 16. It's provision for the journey in its hard bits. It is recognition, gracious recognition, that while we are fully forgiven, the journey to God's promised rest as Christians is, is tough. It is fraught. Or as one writer says, it is fought out in an ongoing battle with sin and with suffering as we journey to that rest. And so we need not only the assurance that full atonement has been made by our high priest, but we need his help, his grace in our time of need. What is the time of need? The time of need is when we are battling with temptation. And the time of need is when we have fallen to temptation. The time of need is when we doubt God's care, when we are away from Him, And these verses are so powerful. You know, why, why is it so powerful to hear of Jesus' sympathy and his kindness? Because the Bible is full of that. It's so powerful because it comes at this point in Hebrews. It comes alongside the exhortations. It comes alongside this glorious picture of our high priest. That he's there for us. Now, he is a priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, contrast Jesus with a high priest in the Old Covenant. We'll see this next week in chapter 2. Jesus, um, the, the priests then were like us in every way. They were tempted, so they could say, I know what it's like. And uh, they sinned, so they could say, I know what that's like. And you have some empathy from that. But Jesus is like us in every way, except that he never sinned. 
That's one way he's not like us, but he's not like us in another way, that he and he alone experienced a magnitude and a force of temptation that we never do because he never sinned. You see, he, 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 he exhausted the limits of temptation. So when we pray to him in our temptation and in our failure, we pray to one who has experienced a greater force of temptation and yet has not sinned. Now, does that help us? Or, or does it just say to me, there's an impossible standard? It would do if I had not gone with him beyond the curtain into the very presence of God and into the family of God and his spirit had not come to live in me, making me like him. Otherwise, it would be an impossible standard. But he is fashioning us into who he is. That's the wonderful thing about being a Christian. He is making us like him as we do battle with sin and prevail. And if we do not prevail every single time, he says, look, you are forgiven. You know you're forgiven. You are forgiven. You know you're forgiven. Get up, get up. God never asks of us anything that he has not given us the supernatural capacity to I think probably I would have got this wrong in the past. The supernatural capacity to become, I think, is the right word. Because we will not shed sin nor suffering in this world. So then let us, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. It is amazing that we can... And how do you draw near to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ as your high priest? Through prayer. That's how we do it. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. It is amazing that we can. How often do we? Now, I think it's helpful to see this as a simple equation. In the heat of temptation... Turn to God in prayer and ask him for help. We just got to do that. We must believe in that mechanism that he gives us. And when we fall to temptation, turn to God through Jesus Christ and let him assure you that you are a forgiven sinner and feel his care, his love, and his empathy. It is astonishing that we can draw near to the throne of grace. But we must do it every day, many times a day.